Greetings and welcome to the 93rd edition podcast of Women's Liberation Radio News for this Thursday, January 4th, 2024. Happy New Year, sisters. This is Aurora, biological female and reality enthusiast. This month's edition focuses on this past year and what the WLRN Collective believes to be the top stories involving or impacting women. We'll hear WLRN's Emily Fay and Thistle Pedersen discussing these top stories with Liz Miller, contributing editor of the feminist anthology Spinning and Weaving, a book you can find at spinningandweaving.org. Dear listeners, and something we highly recommend to all of our feminist followers, new and old. Then stay tuned till the very end for WLRN's own Sekhmet She-Owl's take on the top stories from 2023 and what to look out for in 2024. The team at WLRN produces a monthly radio broadcast to break the sound barrier women are blocked by under the status quo rule of men. This blocking of women's discourse we see in all sectors of society, be they conservative, liberal, mainstream, progressive, or radical. The thread that runs through all of American politics, except for separatist feminism, is male dominance and entitlement in all spheres. To start off today's edition, Here's yours truly with women's news from around the globe for this Thursday, January 4th, 2024. In Canada, an Ontario Superior Court decision has confirmed that public discussion of transgenderism is not in breach of the country's human rights code. This decision was handed down in a hearing held on November 22nd regarding the case of Carolyn Berjowski. Berjowski is an Ontario elementary school teacher whose comments about transgenderist content in children's books resulted in a formal complaint being filed against her and a disciplinary investigation launched by the Waterloo Region District School Board. In response, Bajowski filed a defamation claim against the school board, which in turn retaliated with a motion accusing Bajowski of attempting to suppress their free speech with her defamation claim. At the November hearing, the presiding justice dismissed the school board's motion and stated that the Human Rights Code, quote, does not prohibit public discussion of anything. He added that he found it, quote, regrettable that the defendant who is trying to shut down debate is an arm of the government. Four mothers from Demopolis, Alabama, have come forward with claims that their middle school-aged daughter's male peers used an artificial intelligence program to create pornography from photographs of their daughters. Tiffany Cannon, Elizabeth Smith, Holston Drinkard, and Heidi Nettles say that their daughter's male classmates created and shared AI-generated pornography of their daughters, and the women are now pressuring the Demopolis City School District to take action against the boys for cyberbullying. Demopolis City Schools Superintendent Tony Willis has stated that the case falls outside of the district's jurisdiction, since the school is only required to address events that occur during school hours and on school grounds. An active investigation is currently open with the Demopolis police. According to an article published earlier in the year by the Washington Post, quote, artificial intelligence is fueling an unprecedented boom this year in fake pornographic images and videos. Many of these feature underage girls. 
A new United Nations report released this month outlines the challenges faced by Afghan women victimized by men's sexual and domestic violence. Since the Taliban's return to power in 2021, women have been forced out of education, the workforce, and social and political life, and driven once again behind men's closed doors. To compound the dangers of women's enforced isolation and disenfranchisement, the Taliban has abolished institutional structures created to address male violence against women, including specialized units of the Attorney General's Office and the Afghanistan National Police. In 2021, prior to the Taliban's return to power, there were 23 state-sponsored women's protection centers in Afghanistan, none of which remain in operation today. It is now a Taliban policy to send women fleeing violence to prison, ostensibly for their own protection if they do not have male relatives they can stay with, or if their male relatives are, in fact, their abusers. The UN also found that punishments meted out to perpetrators of violence against women have become more lenient since the Taliban's return to power, and that women are reluctant to report crimes against them out of fear of the predominantly male law enforcement personnel. On December 4th, a Los Angeles County Sheriff's deputy killed 27-year-old Nayani Finlayson after the woman called 911 while under attack from an ex-boyfriend. Deputies arrived to hear screaming coming from Finlayson's apartment and found the young woman inside with her nine-year-old daughter. The Los Angeles Sheriff's Department has not yet released body camera footage from the scene, but alleges that Finlayson was threatening her ex-boyfriend with a knife, which prompted the deputy to shoot her. The deputy responsible, Ty Shelton, previously shot and killed a man during a similar domestic violence call in 2020. Finlayson's family has filed a legal claim against the county and sheriff's department for wrongful death, assault, and civil rights violations. A report published on December 5th by the Abortion Care Network found that 23 independently owned reproductive health clinics in the United States were closed over the last year. Adding that figure to the 42 clinics that closed their doors in 2022, over a dozen states are now without a single brick-and-mortar location offering abortion services. These closures constitute a severe restriction of reproductive health care access since, according to the report, independently owned clinics perform the majority of abortions in the United States and make up the majority of clinics operating in states particularly hostile to abortion. According to UNICEF's latest global snapshot on children with HIV and AIDS, nearly 98,000 girls aged 10 to 19 were infected with HIV in 2022. The good news is that this total has almost halved since the last report in 2010. But girls, nonetheless, remain more than twice as likely to contract HIV than boys. UNICEF attributes the disparity to sexual inequality, poverty, and a lack of access to sexual and reproductive health programs says UNICEF Associate Director of HIV-AIDS, Anurita Baines, quote, it is unacceptable that adolescent girls who should be planning their futures continue to bear the burden of HIV infection. We must eradicate the obstacles that make HIV a threat to their health and well-being. This includes ensuring that the sexual and reproductive health and rights of adolescent girls and young women are met. In the aftermath of Cyclone Freddy, which struck the East African nation of Malawi this past March, destroying homes and croplands, many women and girls have turned to prostitution to support their families. Women make up 70% of the agricultural workforce in the country and are often their household's primary providers. 
According to the staff of People Serving Girls at Risk, a Malawian organization focused on protecting women and girls from sexual exploitation, the number of women working in prostitution has nearly tripled since the tropical storm struck last spring. Pauline Kaude of Malawi's Gender Ministry reports that, quote, women are failing to afford school needs and resources for their dependents. Most young girls have left school for employment or marriages or selling sex for money to survive. The strongest tropical storm on record, Cyclone Freddy exemplifies the type of extreme weather event that scientists warn will become more frequent as climate change progresses. The situation of women in Malawi highlights how increasing vulnerability to sexual exploitation may emerge as one consequence of climate change that will specifically affect women and girls. Accounts alleging the mass rape of Israeli women by Hamas militants during the events of October 7th have now been published by both the Associated Press and the New York Times. Israeli civilian and military witnesses recount observing women raped and mutilated by the militants, while Israeli officials report that, quote, everywhere Hamas terrorists struck, they brutalized women. But at this date, there is neither physical evidence nor victim testimonies forthcoming to confirm the attacks. Israel has also refused to cooperate with the UN Commission of Inquiry into sexual violence committed by Hamas, citing an anti-Israel bias on the part of the UN. At a recent news conference, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu called for global outrage over the alleged atrocities, saying, quote, To the women's rights organizations, to the human rights organizations, you've heard of the rape of Israeli women, horrible atrocities, sexual mutilation, quote, Where the hell are you? Despite witness statements and Israeli police reports, some journalists remain critical of the lack of concrete evidence and victim testimony and speculate that the Israeli government may be using the allegations to bolster faltering international support for its military campaign in Gaza. Since late last month, young women from Pakistan's Balochistan province have taken the lead in a large-scale protest movement against state violence. Following the killing of a young man by counterterrorism police, hundreds of women launched a 1,600-kilometer march from Balochistan to Islamabad, Pakistan's capital, to call for an end to state-sponsored disappearances and murders. This unprecedented women-led uprising, rooted in nonviolent civil disobedience, has garnered wide public support in Pakistan and drawn global attention despite government crackdown and media blackouts. A poll conducted in November with support from Women's Liberation Front found that public endorsement of gender identity policies has dramatically decreased since 2020. Drawing from a random sample of 1,000 California voters, the poll indicates that a majority of voters now say they strongly disagree with the inclusion of men who identify as women into women's prisons, shelters, and changing rooms. The poll also found that 70% of California voters define a woman as a person, quote, biologically born female, and that 54% support maintaining a sex-based legal definition of the word woman in order to protect women's rights. And finally, WLRN would like to congratulate Ms. Taylor Swift for being named Time Magazine's 2023 Person of the Year. That concludes WLRN's World News segment for this Thursday, January 4th. I'm Aurora. Please do share your news stories, announcements, and tips with us by emailing info at WLRNmedia.com and keeping us abreast of what's going on.
That was Tara Lightfoot with her song, No Hurry. Next up, we'll hear an end of the year reflection on the top news stories impacting women and girls in 2023 and what to look out for in 2024 with WLRN's Thistle Pedersen and Emily Fay in discussion with Liz Miller. Liz is contributing editor to Spinning and Weaving, a feminist anthology with over 30 essays written by radical and lesbian feminists. Take a listen to what she, Emily, and Thistle have to say about this year we are saying goodbye to and the year we are entering. Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to our end of the year, beginning of the year show to welcome in a new moment in our history. I thought we could start out by looking at the UN's report on women in positions of power in 2023, which was much like the report in 2022 and probably like the report will be in 2024. And But it gives us a backdrop as to what we're looking at in 2023 and the overarching uh, environment that women are operating in. Only 26.5% of Congress people or Parliament people in congressional bodies worldwide are women. And only 31 countries have women heads of states, and that's out of 195 countries. So this is coming from the UN, uh, this information. And uh, Emily pointed out in a discussion earlier that the UN is a bit problematic because why, Emily? Well, the big thing that happened this year, at least for lesbians, is on, I think it was on Lesbian Visibility Day, the UN women's Twitter account tweeted, like trans women are women they are your lesbian sisters and it was just like such a such an absurdity like beyond absurd you've got un women like you know who who should be caring right about you know the atrocities done to women worldwide and they're like you know what the most important thing we could possibly say on this day of lesbian visibility is men men like it it was so yeah, I kind of just I just feel like I had like a an exhaustive sigh come out of my body when I saw that where I was just like, Oh, my God, like, come on. Right. And yeah, and it makes you distrust. Sorry. I was yes, say, distrust, trust the UN. But fortunately, the UN is a large, large mm-hmm. organization. And a woman named Reem Asalam, uh, who is a UN rapporteur, on violence against women is speaking uh, on the side of women's and girls' sex-based rights mm-hmm. in policy. And she's not, she's been doing it since 2021 and she made a statement in May of 2023. Uh, I do remember it when it was released and it, it you know, a lot of people read it and um basically she said that we need to be able to express our opinions of words like sex and gender um and that girls biological girls and women are being impacted by these you know policies around gender identity and that we um need to pay attention to girls and women and and she didn't get in trouble um that that i know of elizabeth 
Do you know anything about uh, Reem Asalam? Well, I know that she's the special rapporteur on violence against women and girls um, for the UN. So it's um, part of the UN has something called the Human Rights Council that has what they call a special procedures mandate where they um, appoint people to be special rapporteurs on various subjects. So she was appointed the special rapporteur on violence against women and girls in 2021. And she, let's see, we have her biography here too. So she's from Jordan. Um, She has a master's in international relations from American University in Cairo and a master's in human rights law from Oxford. And she's an independent consultant on gender issues, the rights of refugees and migrants, transitional justice and humanitarian response. So she's a very impressive person. And she was appointed um, the special rapporteur on violence against women and girls in 2021. And I was very heartened to see that she made this statement um, in May of 2023, saying that she's deeply concerned at the escalation of intimidation and threats against women and girls for expressing their opinions and beliefs regarding their needs and rights based on their sex and sexual orientation. And then she says, disagreement with the views of women and girls, including politicians, academics, and women's rights advocates should never be used as grounds to justify violence and intimidation. And in addition, discrimination based on sex and sexual orientation is prohibited in international and regional instruments. And then she goes on to express deep concern about what she calls the decreasing space available for women and women's organizations to organize and express their opinions peacefully um, about their needs based on their biological sex and or sexual orientation. So she's very, you know, straightforward about um, that women have needs and oppression based on their biological sex and that and sexual orientation and that they're attacked for that and they're also attacked for just expressing ideas about it and Mm -hmm. she's you know really I remember when that statement came out in May of 2023 and reading through the whole thing and just feeling such a sense of representation and relief that somebody in a position of power was was defending me because I mean what's happened to me on a personal level is definitely about free speech for women you know women being able to express our opinions mm. without threat of, of violence, which also in 2023, or was it the end of 2022? I think here in Madison, we had a speaker's corner downtown, and one of the women that came to the speaker's corner was assaulted by a trans activist, you know, and that sort of put the um, kibosh on. Mm our Speakers Corners events because women, even radical feminist activist women, generally speaking, don't want to be put in harm's way on the streets. And we're, we already have enough male violence coming at us just by trying to survive as women um, on a regular daily basis mm. to like put ourselves intentionally in harm's way. And so it's like, that's something about 2023 that I'm looking back on and just feeling sad. I think there's been an escalation of male violence in the trans activist movement that's had a silencing and chilling effect mm. on our ability to go out in public and give our speeches and walk tall and proud and say, yeah, 
you know, I believe sex and gender are different and that we <laughs> are oppressed based on just being female, which is not something that we can change no matter how many surgeries, hormones, whatever, you know. And saying that, just being able to say that without fear of severe, I mean, severe repression, lose mm -hmm. your job, lose your reputation, lose your ability to go out in public and just shop at the grocery store. You know, like it's crazy. So anyway, I'm just reflecting <laughs> sort of personally on 2023. Well, I would be really curious what the inside the internal workings of the UN for Reem after she published this, what her experience has been. I'm I know we're not hearing about it, but I'm sure she is taking a lot of heat from other people in the organization. I think you've got to be right, but we have a recent article from December 27th, 2023, um, which is just a few days ago, where she's just as strongly standing well, up yeah. for biological Rude. girls and women in sports with these Title IX yeah. proposed changes in the US. And, and there she is right. as a UN representative. I mean, they call, they talk about her working for the UN, you know, and so, I don't know. I mean, I think 2024, we've got to make Turfin the new punk, the new cool, the new, you know, grassroots movement, really, because I think it, it can and should be fun to speak out and go out on the streets and make art and do theater and, you know, have all of that and those different aspects of our movement mm. but i'm uh getting on to other things uh and i wanted to talk about power again and how um the un reported that women in 2023 are not really in that many positions of governmental power economic power political power but time magazine uh, is calling taylor swift the person of the year in 2023 and she holds a different kind of power that i think is that grassroots power that we'll discuss and so emily if you wanted to talk a little bit about the significance of taylor swift as person of the year time person of the year 2023 yeah i think taylor is really empowering young women uh, maybe women of all ages too i had a conversation at work the other day with a woman and her 60s or 70s which is talking about how much we love taylor swift you know i think taylor has this power of artistically capturing the pain of girlhood and having that music be so accessible to young women i think is having a big profound impact on on young women as as you know listening to this music and thinking about how it applies to their own lives and how they can empower themselves and i also one of the biggest things i saw this year with taylor that i thought was really amazing and really sort of an example of like this huge mega you know star who is also in a lot of ways a representation of corporate power and you know conventional beauty um that women who are going to her shows these huge stadium concerts with thousands and thousands of people the audiences were majority women and i saw a lot of posts on social media from young women 
saying that they had like a profound revelation at the concert because they previously had thought that they suffered from you know crowd anxiety or big group anxiety and that they were afraid of being in large crowds and when they were at the taylor swift concert and it was a crowd of women that they realized they didn't have they were not experiencing the anxiety they normally feel in a crowd and that it's because it was a majority female group and that I mean, that is female separatism in action right there. Those women at that Taylor Swift concert going, I feel safe because it's women right now. I feel safe because there's four men and they're all gay and I'm not afraid of them right now. You know, like I think that that will have a lifelong profound impact on every single woman that got to experience that, that got to experience that little taste of separatism. Go ahead, Elizabeth, you want to say something about that? Yeah, I do. I I noticed that too, Emily, and I. It, what it made me think of was Women's Land and mm -hmm. things like Mishfest and Michigan Family Reunion and other women-only festivals where literally every woman I've ever talked to at those festivals who was there for the first time said exactly what you were just saying. Yeah. Like, this is the first time I've ever felt safe. This is the first time I've ever felt like I could just breathe because I'm surrounded by women and I know that I'm not in danger and I can just be myself like fully for the first time ever. Um, so again, you know, women only space, separatism. And this only this also connects back to some things that we were talking about earlier about how um, women have to struggle so incredibly hard to get any formal political representation. And even though um, that report that Thistle started out with points out that it has increased over the years, it's still a tiny percentage. And so, you know, men don't want to give up any political formal political power to us. Mm -hmm. And so we have to find other ways. I mean, not that we shouldn't stop not that we should stop trying to get formal political power, but we can't wait. <laughs> and we can't wait to be 50% of the people in formal political power. Um, we need to do other things in the meantime, one of which I think very much is female separatism, forming women's culture, forming women's community, and um, just forming worlds for ourselves where we're only with women and we're only focusing on women that's one thing yeah and, and i feel like thing. taylor swift getting back to that as one of our top 2023 20, stories you know she really is unlock unlocking that potential and that power for the common ordinary woman mm -hmm. in america who wouldn't otherwise have that experience and it's happening organically and naturally without political intent it's happening because she speaks the language of women who are experiencing girlhood and womanhood in America. Yes, Emily was pointing out that she, you know, is very, very wealthy and um, she is the CEO of her corporation, but she runs it like a woman. She really does. Like she gave these huge bonus checks end of the year bonus checks to her crew, all of her employees. She just, and and we both watched the, the era's movie and she's bringing joy. She, she, and it's very, very female focused. And 
There's some like, I mean, it's it's interesting because I would call it more of a cultural than a political phenomenon, right, Emily? Well, I mean, I think that's the thing about Taylor. Like there we have like this big example of pre-Taylor politics before she ever spoke about politics. And then when she did, I don't remember the exact specifics of what race it was or what year, but I believe it was in Tennessee, um, which is a state that she's lived in, lived in for a big part of her life. And she got on social media and, you know, it, uh, endorsed a candidate and that I believe that candidate won or there was like a huge difference in like, there was like a huge bloom of like people registering to vote right after she tweeted about it like she does have the ability to transfer her cultural power into political power and that could i mean she's only 33 years old that could be yet to come you know she's She's 34. Her birthday was on December oh, 34. 13th. Happy birthday, <laughs> Taylor. Happy birthday, Taylor. <laughs> so, um, oh my gosh, her birthday was December 13th. Amazing. That's so close to when your birthday is. Yeah. Um, so switching gears, you know, we all three of us are Americans and uh, WLRN primarily covers American news, but we have a world news segment and um, I we, we like to look at other areas of the world besides the United States. And I know that a big story in the world has been the Taliban in Afghanistan and um, just basically the halt in women's and girls' personhood Mm. for all girls and all women in that country. Um, Well, I could um, talk about it this little Yeah, go ahead, Elizabeth, if you could talk about that. Thank you. Yeah, that's been something. So since 2021, when the Taliban took over again in Afghanistan, that's been something absolutely just enraging and heartbreaking how Mm -hmm. the Taliban, like you said, has essentially erased the personhood of everyone female in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. Um, They have taken away their ability to go to school, to do most jobs, to go outside by themselves. They forced them to wear... um, you know, to cover their bodies completely when they're in public. They can't Uh, participate in sports anymore. Right. Yeah, it's just absolutely horrifying and disgusting. And the what's equally horrifying and disgusting is that no one else in the world seems to care. Like no one is doing anything to help them um, other than like Phyllis Chesler, who's a very wonderful radical feminist, got like several hundred feminist women out of Afghanistan in 2021 and 2022, uh, along with a lot of other women working with her. So, but she's really, I think the only person who's done anything, not, well, she and her group are the only people that have done anything concrete to help these women. And other than that, it's just treated like part of the wallpaper, like most violence against women is it's just sort of oh that's just how the world is that's just part of life we're not interested in that that's not a story I mean every once in a while there'll be like a little news story about it but we're not there's no like efforts widespread international efforts to do anything it's like the world has just accepted that it's okay that the Taliban has just erased the human rights of the entire female population of the country Mm -hmm. Um, and then compared to that, Iran, where um, women have been, you know, it's a slightly less sort of apocalyptic situation where women have been 
able to at least like fight against the forced hijab but even though they've been you know beaten and arrested and murdered for doing so but at least the women in iran are able to do some public fighting against the sex-based oppression and i i admire them so much i thought fo- i actually follow a couple of young women in iran on TikTok. And they talk about like they sort of talk about their thought process. Like they'll come on TikTok and say, "I'm going to go out today in a neighborhood where the tell or the the um, sex police are especially horrible, and I'm going to not wear hijab." And I just their bravery is incredible to me. I don't think I would have the physical bravery to do that because it's so terrifying. Because she could be murdered by them by the police. But again, people aren't really talking about that very much mm-hmm. because it's just happening to women, and no one cares what happens to women. Absolutely. So it's that's been incredibly depressing and enraging to me mm. for the last few years, and and you know in continuing in 2023 and probably into 2024 so yeah I mean I was really disappointed and I remember reading an article about some of the different um, nonprofits that were doing work in Afghanistan when the government was like oh no we're not going to shut you down well okay first we, we just are saying that you can't have women working for you know are women working for your organization? Well, actually you can't have any women. And these organizations went with it. Like some of them pulled out of the country completely because they were like, oh, we don't know what to do. You're telling us we can't employ women. I guess we'll just leave and not give anyone any anything because we can't fight back. We're not willing to stand back up against the Afghan government. Yeah, and for all that, you know, we can criticize the United States for for invading Afghanistan after 9-11, the sort of um, good side of that was that that was a period since 2001 until 2021 was a period where women in Afghanistan actually had more rights because the U.S. was there causing that to happen. And when we pulled out, the Taliban literally the next day ended all those rights. And I'm also very angry at the U.S. for just being so incredibly naive and kind of being like, well, it's time for us to leave. Bye bye. And like not giving any thought at all to what would happen. I mean, they, of course, would must have known exactly what was going to happen, but they didn't do anything to try to prevent it. Correct. Yeah. 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 So that's a regressive story from uh, 2021, 22, 23, and looking ahead into 24 in Iran and Afghanistan, it looks like more of the same, would you say? Well, I have some hope for Iran because the women there are so brave. And there are also, uh, here's one of the rare times where I'll say something good about men. There are also some men supporting them Mm -hmm. um, and sort of like going with them sometimes when they go to neighborhoods without hijab. And so, and I've also just read a lot of statements and interviews with ordinary people in Iran and they really hate the Taliban. They want the Taliban gone. Um, And you know, it's very, it's an incredibly difficult fight because the Taliban is so incredibly violent and repressive, but because there's such a huge popular citizen opposition to the Taliban, I have some hope that they may be able, that the people of Iran may be able to free themselves. Mm-hmm. Afghanistan, I have mostly despair about right now. I mean, I, I wish that 
the international community would do something mm -hmm. to free the women of Afghanistan mm -hmm. uh, because that's just an absolute tragic situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks for reporting on on those two countries. Uh, let's bring it back to maybe some more positive news and also news in the United States, and that is that uh, 11 lawsuits are being filed by detransitioners in the United States. Yes, I will yeah. pull that up. Oh, here, here it is. Here it you is. found it. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay. So what I'm looking at right now is um, a sort of a sub stack or an article from December 7th uh, talking about 11 lawsuits by detransitioners in the U.S. So Against are... their doctors, therapists, and medical clinics. Right. Um, yeah. So they, right. And they have claims including medical malpractice, gross medical negligence, fraud, civil conspiracy, breach of fiduciary duty, and all sorts of other things. Um, one lawsuit also alleges that the American Academy of Pediat Pediatrics has published, promoted, and profited off of false and misleading statements in a 2018 policy statement put out by the American Academy of P Pediatrics, which was called Ensuring Comprehensive Care and Support for Transgender and Gender Diverse Children. Mm -hmm. um, and so they, one of the lawsuits has said that this was fraudulent and misleading um, information put out by the American Academy of Pediatrics. Right uh, and there are 11 lawsuits that have been filed saying that what these institutions are calling, you know, quote unquote, medical care is actually not medical care, but really mutilating and mistreating these, young, these minors. It's doing uh, harm doing harm to them and mm -hmm. giving them false information, not telling them about all of the things that will happen to them as the result of taking wrong sex hormones, such as chronic pain for women, vinyl, uh, vaginal atrophy, sterility, mm -hmm. Hashimoto's disease, which is an so autoimmune So if there's disease. 11, you know, Liz, 11 lawsuits in the United States centering around the same issue, what is what is the political significance of that? Like, what what might these eleven lawsuits do to the larger picture? Well, I could see from a positive point of view, I could see a couple of things happen. One, I think that the corporations that make these hormones might have to give like FDA warnings that they shouldn't be used for off-label purposes. I could see gender clinics being put out of business. I could see doctors being, you know, disciplined. I could see um, organizations like the American Academy of Pediatrics and the AMA having to completely change their policies. Um, I could see, you know, their the policies and practices of huge medical institutions having to completely reverse course and admit that none of this stuff is actually medical care. So how long will it take for that to happen? You know, will that happen in 24? I don't know. It, it could. I mean, it may take longer than that. But I think, you know, if the if some of these plaintiffs in their lawsuits recover a lot of money damages, that could make change happen very quickly. I also think, though, that there's kind of a um, like a dovetailing, like a partnership between bringing lawsuits for wrongs against people 
and the changing of public opinion and that those things together can lead to just a sea change in how the culture treats this issue. So for example, a bunch of European countries in the last year or so have reversed course and said, we're not gonna do any kind of, you know, unnecessary surgeries and wrong sex hormones for minors anymore because we have realized that the science doesn't support it at all. And that in fact, it's more like lobotomies, you know, the lobotomy craze where it was like, oh, young women are acting in ways that we don't like. Mm -hmm. They're out of control. They must need to have a part of their brain removed. That was later seen to be, you know, a medical scandal and widespread malpractice. And I think that, and and that isn't done anymore. Lobotomies aren't done for those purposes anymore if they're done at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I could see something similar happening here as it has been happening in European countries in the last couple of years. Well, may it be so. I, I, I hope so. And um, I think we're getting to the end of our time here. Of course, we can't cover every single story in 2023 that um, has had an impact on women or centers women. But let's talk about the Women's Bill of Rights and that that's Wolf's uh, Women's Liberation Front's the Wolf's top 2023 story of their year in review, which I highly recommend everybody going to the Wolf website and looking, clicking on the link to their 2023 year in review, because they've done some phenomenal work, legal work in the past year. And one of the things they did is they got the Women's Bill of Rights passed in Kansas, and then two states, Oklahoma and I can't remember the name or the what the, who the other state was, Two other states, their governors signed an executive order in favor of the Women's Bill of Rights. So that's um, something that happened in 2023. Elizabeth, did you want to say anything about that at all? Or Well, I th- I'll just briefly say, I think the significance of this Women's Bill of Rights, it's very, I wouldn't say it's exactly a Women's Bill of Rights that's broader than it actually is. What it is, is saying that something very important, which is that sex should be defined in law as sex, as biological sex, which is what it is, and not, we shouldn't be using this fake language of so-called gender identity, and that that's very important for many things, such as men not being able to be transferred to women's prisons, men not being able to be in facilities that are set aside specifically to help women who've been victims of violence, such as shelters and rape crisis centers, that men shouldn't be able to say they're women and then take over women's sports. So all of those things are made possible by having sex correctly defined in the law. Well, then in the state of Kansas, are men housed with women in women's homeless shelters, rape crisis centers, or prisons? Is it illegal for men to be housed with women in those state facilities? I I don't know for sure because I don't know. I mean, because Kansas enacted this Women's Bill of Rights, that would make it possible to outlaw those things that you just spoke of. I don't know if it's actually happened yet. Sometimes it can take a little while for policies to be affected in a practical way by legislation being passed, but that definitely can happen as the result of that. Well, maybe that's something to look for in 2024. Watch what happens in Kansas. 
So are there any other stories that you you'd like to add, Emily or Liz, uh, before we part? I mean, JK Rowling, I feel like she her podcast series came out in Mm. 2023. And there was also a New York Times article written in her defense in 2023. And I, I just feel like I can't wait for Taylor Swift to turf out and for there to, and so looking yeah. ahead to 2024, I want to see a turf parade with in New York City with JK Rowling and Taylor Swift <laughs> on a float. That'd be cool. That'd be I do think, I mean, I do think that we can look forward to like, I, I think the cracks are everything we've just taught, you know, the lawsuits, like I, I do think that more normal people are feeling more empowered to in their friend groups or in quieter settings be like hey you know i have some doubts about this and i think that's going to continue i have hope that that's going to continue that there's going to be more people speaking out more articles in mainstream publications i want to see detransitioners on good morning america i want to see detransitioners all over you know like that's that's sort of what I feel like could help really move apart. Another, of this oh, sorry to interrupt, but another top story of 2023 was the release of Affirmation Generation, which um, no later back. later got changed. The title got changed to No Way Back, which is about detransitioners. Yeah. And go ahead, Emily. Yeah, I just I want to see. I think if we could get you know detransitioners telling their stories on mainstream television programs you know that people normal people all across the country are watching the view or or types of shows like that where they're supposed to take on controversial issues they're supposed to be fighting and bickering and disagreeing with each other and if we could get the trans issue to be able to be spoken about in those ways where it's like well we have different opinions and we're talking through them and we're arguing and and you know in a relatively respectful way hopefully i think i think that uh, that's my hope for 2024 is that we're going to see more mainstream media touching this topic and liz would you give us your parting words on what you hope to see in 2024 yeah definitely um so i think that whenever i look at the end of a year and take stock, what stands out for me is how being a woman, like women's, the status of women worldwide is kind of like whack-a-mole. Like there's constantly Mm -hmm. men doing horrible things that we have to, you know, try to tamp down on, like the abortion bans that have been happening all over the U.S. since Roe v. Wade was overturned. Um, Like the fact that um, a recent study um, conducted by universities in the in the UK found that female genital mutilation is a leading cause of death in countries where it's practiced, causing over 44,000 deaths of women and girls every year. It's, on the other hand, Japan just expanded its definition of rape to remove the requirement of that women fight back physically. And they also raised raised the age of consent from 13, which is incredible that it was 13, to 16. So, you know, there's good things that happen, but it's always sort of like one step forward, two steps back for women all over the world. 
And I guess that sort of leads me back to my thoughts about the need for two major things. One is for women to be separatist as much as possible and to create the ability for other women to be separatist in their lives and to create our own communities. And also how incredibly important it is for women to do grassroots political work and just be out on the streets demanding change, just forcing change to happen because asking men to change doesn't work. We have to take power. We can't ask for power. We have to take it. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, girl, if you wanted to do a free speech for women event in Chicago, you know, once the weather is nicer, I would consider that. Or let's have a conversation. What does it mean for women to go out in the streets in the Midwest mm-hmm. post the Kelly J. Keene USA tour and the violence that's been escalating as yeah. women do these free speech for women, women events, you know, like what are we going to do in 2024 about going into the streets? I no, think you mean that literally, you know? That's a big conversation. But I th- when I say going into the streets, I don't just mean standing in the street talking. I mean, grassroots organizing where um, we introduce bills and we file amicus briefs and we, you know, have podcasts where we talk about people, talk to people and change their minds. You know, these right. are all, to me, these are all ways of being right. in the streets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the speaker's corner model, I think I think it can still be effective in certain areas. It's just kind of lost its steam for us here in the Midwest right now and I'm going to maybe talk a little bit about that on FQT on January 6th. Why well, I think, I think that's a that big is. conversation to be had about like what our approach has to be. Like the, is it the nonviolent direct action approach or is it protecting ourselves physically approach? You know, I think that there's a huge conversation to be had. It is a huge conversation. And, and we, you know, and we went through a lot as a group here in the Midwest where we ended up doing this funny sneaky thing where we said we were going to be near the Capitol doing our speaker's corner to lure the trans activists there. And then we surprise, we're at a park and we didn't say which park and we did our speaker's corner from this park in Madison. Anyway, so we started getting sneaky and and being like that. And it was fun, but it's also a lot of work to like drag around a sound system and, you know, do a live stream and all of that, which is which has been part of the speaker's corner model, you know, here in the US. And I don't know. Yes, it's a long conversation. Thank you so much, Liz, for coming on today and sharing your thoughts about the top stories of 2023 and what to look forward to in 2024. And thank you to Emily and peace and love to all of our Mm. listeners uh this coming new year 2024 yes happy new year everybody surf it up you are listening to wlrn brought to you by the totally excellent radical feminists at women's Women's liberation Liberation. radio Radio. News. news Happy New Year. 
This is not your typical year in review commentary. Every January, when it's time for WLRN to release the first podcast episode of the year, I'm struck by how much female existence stays the same through time, no matter what happens or changes in any 12-month period. We always have small victories to celebrate, and we should take advantage of those opportunities for the sake of our collective and personal morale. But ultimately, male oppression of women and girls pretty much stays the same one year to the next, particularly male violence and sexual predation. One of the biggest news stories in 2023 was the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, which remains ongoing with no clear end in sight. That political feud obviously isn't new, it didn't start with this latest chapter, but it became a hot topic internationally last year with a clear division in loyalty. Leftists and liberals support Palestine, conservatives support Israel, whether we're talking about Americans or Europeans or people in other countries outside Palestine and Israel. It's always been this way, the leftists and liberals defending Palestine as a long-oppressed and colonized nation whose land has been stolen and people persecuted, while conservatives, many of them Christian, paint Israel as a legitimate and mostly peaceful nation under attack by Palestinian terrorists. Frankly, I barely follow the story, as I stay mostly disconnected from current events nowadays, but without fail, my feminist anti-war position was once again reinforced, thanks to the details that did make it through to me. Women being raped and brutalized, on both sides. Standard in war zones, of course, nothing shocking or unexpected about it. I didn't need to hear or see confirmation to know it was going on. None of us should. However controversial this may be to say, I'll say it. I don't care which side wins. I never really do when considering war. Males on all sides are guilty of the most heinous violence, while women and girls who do not vote for or start or enthusiastically fight in wars are victimized. This has always been true of every militaristic conflict in human history and always will be. It's a decent example from which to extrapolate the universal female condition, the consistency of male violence and sexual predation, the consistency of female fear and suffering. The countries and individual characters change from one war to the next, one decade or century to the next, but male behavior doesn't so neither does the female experience. Why should I or any other woman anywhere root for one group of male rapists and killers over another? Social media personality Andrew Tate was arrested and charged with rape and human trafficking in 2023, to nobody's surprise. That hasn't stopped males of all ages the world over, including and especially underage males as young as 10 or 11 from subscribing to his rhetoric about women and using it as their current excuse to be misogynistic, sexually predatory, cruel, violent pricks to women and girls. But Tate hasn't said anything that thousands of other men on the internet didn't say first and decades earlier. And long after Tate's name fades from public memory, there will be some other guy repackaging the message, carrying on the mission, giving structure to his male audience's pre-existing misogyny and the chance for males to bond in comment sections and across social platforms 
over their agreement that women and girls are bitches put here to be sexually used by males. The Barbie movie came out in 2023, much to the joy and glee of millions of women and girls around the world who had a great time dressing up with their friends and going to the theater to watch the story of the most popular girls' toy of all time. Meanwhile, men were triggered by and trashed the film all over the internet. Didn't they have a similar reaction to Wonder Woman six years ago? To the woman-dominated remake of Ghostbusters seven years ago? Do any of us women really expect there to come a day when males unanimously celebrate entertainment for and about us rather than pissing all over it? I don't mean to depress you as we embark on 2024. In fact, just the opposite. The fact that we can expect the international female experience to stay essentially the same this year as it was last year and all the years prior should serve as a reminder to stop caring what men want, think, or say about us, to stop investing time, energy, and other resources in attempting to reform them and the systems they control, to stop arguing with men and their handmaidens online or in person about their misogyny and sexism, and to stop over-consuming evidence of males oppressing females everywhere on Earth. Let all of that go and dedicate yourself to the project of personal healing and joy, to connection with other women, to creativity and pleasure and fun. I know that sounds dangerously liberal. It sounds like discarding the female collective, the political struggle, and seeking refuge in individualism. Feel free to disagree with the approach. I stand by the point that feminists must strike a balance between self-interest and the cause. I have no idea what that balance looks like and doubt any woman does, but we should strive for it. As I get older, it becomes more and more clear to me that I must prioritize and care for myself above everything and everyone else. All women should. Not because it's going to end patriarchy or any other system of oppression. But because without your physical and mental health, you have nothing. You can't give anything to other women or to feminism, and the world isn't going to restore you. So whatever's going on in your country, city, religion, political party, or family, however the heteropatriarchy affects you as a lesbian, a woman of color, a disabled woman, a working class woman, etc., Whatever you see happening to women out there, make a decision that you're going to spend 2024 taking care of yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Do the healing work you've put off. Recognize when to take a break from the news and from feminist discourse. Spend more time with the women in your life just laughing and playing Seek out more sensory pleasure. Pursue your interests. Do whatever you can to improve and develop yourself as a woman, as a human being. Don't let men steal all the light from your life. Don't let the feminist struggle distract you from what you need to do for yourself. The struggle will always be there. You won't. And you deserve to be as happy, free, and whole as you can get. 
Happy New Year, sisters. Thanks for listening to WLRN's 93rd edition podcast, reflecting on the top stories of 2023 and what to look for in 24. WLRN would like to thank our guest this month for sharing her views. Thank you so much, Liz Miller, for speaking with us. Until next time, this is Thistle signing off on another WLRN podcast. If you like what you are hearing and would like to donate to the cause of Feminist Community Radio, please visit our WordPress site and click the donation button. Check out our merch tab to get a nice gift in exchange for your donation. And if you are interested in joining our team, we are always looking for new volunteers to conduct interviews, write blog posts, post to our Facebook and other social media pages, and do other tasks to keep us moving forward as a collective of media activist women. Thanks for listening. This is Rebecca signing off now. And I'm Emily. Thanks for tuning in. Next month, just in time for Valentine's Day, we will focus our program on lesbian love and relationships. Our handcrafted podcasts always come out the first Thursday of the month, so look for it on Thursday, February 1st. If you'd like to receive our newsletter that notifies you when each podcast, music show, and interviews are released, please sign up on the WLRN WordPress site. Stay strong in the struggle, and thanks for listening. This is Sekhmet Sheowl signing off on another edition of WLRN's monthly handcrafted podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Spinster, Overit, and SoundCloud in addition to our WordPress site. Thanks for listening. And this is Jenna. Our monthly podcasts are always crafted with tender, loving care and in solidarity with women worldwide. Thanks for your support. We would love to hear from you, so please comment, like, and share widely. Dope for the patriarchal kiss.